This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome and thanks to all of you who contributed during last week's KDVS annual pledge drive. We did fall a bit short of our stated goal of reaching $60,000, which the station does badly need to operate. These monies raised do literally represent the bulk of what this station needs to operate on. Because we're still a bit short, I ask all of you, all of you, dear listeners, particularly those of you who uh, neglected to make a contribution last week, to do so now. And while we no longer have operators standing by to take your call, help is just a mouse click away. What you must do is go to fundraiser.kdvs.org and follow the instructions on the screen. Our goal was 60000 but we're about 9000 short. There are quite a few very cool premiums that are available for your contribution. I would uh, peruse those at your leisure. Pick one and um, help the station. When you help KDVS operate, you directly contribute to the continuation of the kind of programming that you expect and love. It's up to you. KDVS gets no money from the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. We do not operate on a grant from the Mobile Oil Corporation. We've not heard a thing from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, they haven't called. Bill and Melinda Gates, they're no help. And we haven't heard a peep from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. So, my dear listener, it really is up to you. It's pretty easy. Fundraiser.kdvs.org It is our fond hope that on next week's program we will be able to report that we have indeed made up the deficit and achieved our ultimate goal of $60,000. And closer to home, we (laughs) would reiterate that at the start of The Pledge Drive program, we announced that if we did not make our $1,000 goal for the hour, you could count on it being Radio Parallax's last appearance on a fun drive show. As the hour unfolded, we were at times a little bit ahead, a little bit behind our goal. And I want to note that I evidently misspoke at the end of the hour, saying that we were $45 short of the goal with a few minutes to go. Actually, we were at 9.45, so we were really $55 short of the goal, but someone did take me at my word and promptly phoned in a $45 pledge, meaning that technically we only achieved 99% of our goal. However, literally at the last minute, Graham Smith, one of our fellow public affairs hosts who was volunteering that evening, said, I'll give you the last 10. And we note that Bruce in Nevada City evidently called a little after that and reported to Calamity Jane, another one of our DJs at KDVS who was manning the phones, that he would be willing to kick in the 45 bucks. Bruce, thank you. You can now do so at fundraiser.kdvs.org. We would note that one reason you need to contribute to KDVS is the fact that, for example, in our second segment today, we're going to bring back investigative journalist Joe Rubin. He's done work for the Sacramento News and Review, for the Center for Investigative Reporting, and for National Public Radio. And today, he's talking to us at KDVS. Not only do you want to stick around for that, you also want to make a contribution to this station. And I I should, at this moment, thank all of you who did contribute. We, you know, we literally can't do it without you. And 
again, thank you so much. I, I am embarrassed to say that I did not take the list of uh, contributors with me. But again, on next week's program, I will try and name names. And by the way, we're going to stand by that offer we made that if you will contribute $200 to the station, the host of this program will take you to lunch. And please feel free to give us feedback at radioparallax.com about the pledge drive or about the show or about whatever you damn well please. And I want to go out of my way to send out a big thanks to all of the people at this station, course staff, volunteers, and DJs alike who worked hard, put the time in, and got the job done. It's been my great privilege to have been at this station for the last 13 years And I'm grateful to have been able to work here with so many wonderful co-workers. And I really mean that. All right, all that said, let's begin this program as we like to do, week to week, with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 30th of April. It was on April 30th in the year 463 B.C. that a total eclipse of the sun over Thebes prompted the Greek poet Pindar to write, O star supreme, reft from us in the daytime, why hast thou perplexed the power of man and the way of wisdom by rushing forth on a darksome track? Which I think does go a long way towards explaining why it is I never became a fan of Pindar. We will, however, at the next opportunity, pick Dr. Andy Jones' brain about this Greek poet. Oh, and evidently my contribution to Dr. Andy's program earned me... A copy of his book, Where's Juki, which I fully intend to read and then bring Dr. Andy on the program to talk about. All right, moving right along. It was on April 30th in the year 59 that a total eclipse of the sun... Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's, what's with April 30th in eclipses? Well, in this case, it cast Italy into temporary darkness. It was witnessed by Pliny, but the historian Tacitus later embellished the event somewhat, claiming a woman gave birth to a snake... Another was killed by a thunderbolt in her husband's embrace. Then the sun was suddenly darkened and the 14 districts and the 14 districts were struck by lightning. Boy, was Tacitus full of it. I've been to four total eclipses now and I've not seen one woman give birth to a snake. Let alone all 14 districts of the city being struck by lightning. Come on. On April 30th in 1789, George Washington was sworn in as the first president of the United States in New York City. Fourteen years later, on this date, terms for the Louisiana Purchase were agreed upon between France and the U.S. The $15 million land deal doubled the area of the United States by adding the territory between the Mississippi and the Rocky Mountains. Yes, that's right. Territory occupied by Native Americans was sold by a European nation that didn't really own it to us, the fledgling U.S. of A. And on April 30th in 1945, burrowed into his Berlin bunker, Adolf Hitler committed suicide by swallowing cyanide and shooting himself to boot. His body and that of Ava Brown were then partially cremated, although supposedly were discovered by the invading Red Army. Supposedly Stalin kept the secret so that the idea that Hitler might still be out there somewhere rallying the troops could be used to motivate the Soviets. And finally, on April 30th in 1982, Ronald Reagan, U.S. President, pledged American support for Great Britain in the Falkland Crisis, describing the Argentinian invaders as aggressors and Great Britain as our closest ally. Which takes us to our quote of the day, which also comes from President Ronald Reagan, who once said, Politics is not a bad profession. If you succeed, there are many rewards. If you disgrace yourself, you can always write a book. 
Our quip of the day comes from Martin Heidegger, who once said, he who thinks great thoughts often makes great errors, which frankly sounds like a comeback line from Karnak, the Magnificent. And you know, it's a sad uh, realization. And you know, it's a sad realization for the host of this program to realize that if you're 23 years old, your entire life has been after the Johnny Carson era on television. Very sad. But fortunately for our jokes of the day, we have some of Johnny's successors on late night television. I think we'll do more than one today. From Jimmy Fallon, we have BMW's new Deluxe 7 series will allow drivers to simply press a button on their key fob to make the car park itself. And because it's an expensive BMW, it will park itself across two spaces. From Seth Meyers, we have a company's come out with a line of medical marijuana dog treats. Finally, a medicine that will help my dog lie on the couch all day. And from David Letterman, who I'm horrified to note is going to follow Johnny Carson in leaving the airwaves in leaving the airwaves next month. Well, let's do a not necessarily a joke from David Letterman from a moment from one of his top ten lists. This was from David Letterman's top ten George Bush moments. This was I think number six. Number six that there be a stapling run. Iran that is capable of rejecting Iranian influence. I mean, Iraq. Yes, this is the same guy that's coming out of his semi-retirement now to criticize Obama for doing things that might leave the Middle East in chaos. Whoo! He's got a brother that wants to be another Bush president. I would like to point out in conjunction with that item that the Republic of Costa Rica will allow you to live there if you can demonstrate earnings of $2,500 per month. All right, our stat of the day is that e-cigarettes are now more popular among high school students than regular cigarettes. In 2014, 13.4% of high schoolers admitted using e-cigs, while 9% said they smoked regular cigarettes. That's according to the Los Angeles Times. And no, Radio Parallax is unable to explain why it is they call them electronic cigarettes when they should be called electric cigarettes. They use electricity to heat the vapor. This doesn't require a whole lot of electronics. And for our anecdote of this week's show, I'm going to pull something out of the South China Morning Post, as reprinted in the week. This comes from writer Ian Young, who said that sometimes Canada's laudable tolerance can veer too far toward political correctness. As an ethnic Chinese journalist long based in Hong Kong and now in Vancouver, Mr. Young said, I respect Canadians' desire to avoid unnecessary offense. Noting it's usually an asset in this diverse city where around 30% of residents are at least part Chinese. But he added, let us not entirely lose our sense of humor. Noting that plenty of cars in Vancouver now sport bumper stickers that say Chinese driver written in the same font as these stickers student drivers must display. Said Young, it's obviously a play on the racist assumption that Chinese, or Asians in general, are lousy drivers. He notes that the drivers who slap these on their cars are, of course, Chinese. They are poking fun at the stereotype, subverting it by appropriating it. Young notes that while the stickers have been around for years, last week a white person complained and the controversy made the TV news. Said Young, surely this white Canadian meant well, but he was missing the point. Mocking a racist stereotype by wearing it proudly doesn't count as racism. Now, if someone were slapping the stickers onto Chinese-owned cars without the driver's knowledge, that would be racist. 
But Chinese people doing it to themselves, that's funny. And we have this for our good news item of the week's program. Apparently, FBI Director James Comey said in a speech last week, I require every new FBI special agent and intelligent analyst to go to the Holocaust Museum. I want them to learn about the abuse of authority on a breathtaking scale. I want them to see humanity and what we're capable of. I want them to see that although this slaughter was led by sick and evil people, those sick and evil leaders were joined by and followed by people who loved their families, took soup to sick neighbors, went to church, and gave to charity. Well, that that does sound commendable. But in other FBI-related news, we have the fact that the agency formally admitted last week that almost every employee within the Bureau's elite forensic unit gave flawed testimony that helped incriminate hundreds of suspects over two decades. And that includes 14 defendants who were either executed or died in prison. This official acknowledgement brings to an end one of the country's biggest forensic scandals. An independent investigation found the FBI examiners had exaggerated the accuracy of microscopic hair analysis to help prosecutors secure convictions in at least 254 trials before the year 2000. Well, I guess it's back to the Holocaust Museum to see what you can learn about the abuse of authority, eh? All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week last week for giving into your urges with the news that a Colorado man was given a ticket by police after shooting his bulky computer eight times and, quote, killing it, unquote. Police say Lucas Hinch, age 37, had become fed up with fighting his computer for the last several months, so he took it outside and repeatedly blasted it with a handgun. For his part, Hinch said he didn't realize he was breaking the law, but has no regrets. He said it was glorious. Radio Parallax takes the official position that it is okay to execute your bulky computer. But I do hasten to add that that opinion, like all opinions heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for special deliveries after a Florida postal worker exposed potentially lethal security flaws in Washington by flying his gyrocopter over the city and landing on the Capitol lawn. Said Doug Hughes, age 61, at no point did I feel it was not a good idea. And it was an ugly week last week for the First Amendment with the news that an Ohio middle school official erased the word feminist from an eighth grader's t-shirt in a class photo to, quote, prevent any unintended controversies, unquote. Student Sophie Thomas was shocked to see that her shirt had been photoshopped to erase the word. But the principal explained it might be, quote, offensive, unquote, to some people. Thomas said, I just want to spread equality. And finally, Radio Parallax frankly can't decide whether it's a good, bad, or ugly item. But it's one of the above for timeliness, with the news that scientists have now unveiled an atomic clock reputedly so accurate that it won't lose or gain a single second in 15 billion years. 
which is roughly as long as the universe has existed. Tell you one thing, Mr. Vermillion and I are gonna wait, not going to wait around to see how accurate that clock is. All right, and final item of the segment, we have the sad news from Chile, or is it Latin America, or is it from Univision? Noted our friends at The Week magazine, Chileans were mourning this week, along with much of the rest of Latin America, after Univision announced that Sabado Gigante is going to be taken off the air. It is the longest-running variety show in television history. It has been on the air 53 years. The Saturday night staple, as in Sabado, Saturday, began in Chile but moved to Miami in 1986. It has been hosted by Mario Luis Kretzenberger, better known to the public as Don Francisco, for its entire run. Over those years, Don Francisco gave away countless cars, introduced new and established musical stars, and interviewed notables like Bill Gates, Bill Clinton, and President Obama. The show is among the top viewed in its slot among Hispanics in the U.S. Down in Chile, they're planning to show the final episode, which airs in September, at the National Stadium. And I guess, to some degree, it's a mark of the oppression that has plagued the island republic of Cuba that when I inquired among some friends in Cuba what I might be able to send them and make their lives better, to my surprise, the answer I got back was a video copy of Sabado Gigante. I presume that they are now able to see the show down there. I do note, to my shock, that friends are now able to take pictures of themselves on their cell phone and send them over the internet. Things are indeed changing in Cuban-U.S. relations. All right, let's take a short break and come back and speak with investigative journalist Joe Rubin. Listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. Stick around. 